Welcome to the second episode of the Cornell Policy Review Podcast. My name is Lillian Gabreski, and I'm the Senior PR Editor at The Review. This podcast will explore a variety of issues through interviews with figures from around the world. In this episode, Editor-in-Chief Arpit Chattervedi interviews Gligor Tashkovich, former Minister for Foreign Investment in the Republic of Macedonia, and his experience attracting over $1 billion in foreign direct investment in the country. Hi, I'm in conversation with His Excellency Gligor Tashkovich, ex-Minister for Foreign Investment of the Republic of Macedonia. Today, we are going to be talking about how, as Minister for Foreign Investment between 2006 to 2008, Minister Tashkovich was able to get foreign direct investment of 1 billion euros for the Republic of Macedonia, which led to the creation of 1,200 new jobs for the country. Thank you, Minister Tashkovich, for taking out the time for Coronel Policy Review. Thank you, Arpit, for having me. Um, I want to clarify that these 12,000 jobs, that these jobs are jobs that I'm aware of by the time my tenure ended. The process of tracking foreign investment is a multi-year process. Right. Uh, the implementation is a multi-year process. Right. And so some projects started after I left, even though I had signed them. Mm-hmm. And uh, the last one, the new Marriott Hotel, for example, in Skopje, which opened the last year, um, you know, they have whatever it is, a few hundred people working for them, but that number doesn't isn't included because we didn't know how big the hotel was going to be or whatever. So the number is not, the investment is accurate, uh, but the number of jobs is from 2008 based on what was happening at the time that I left. Right. I would begin by asking you as to what are the factors that foreign investors take into consideration before investing in a country, in your case, the Republic of Macedonia? Great. So I would refer you, of course, to the investinmacedonia.com website, which lists all the wonderful conditions that exist for why people should come to Macedonia. But in general, um, we were offering land mm-hmm. uh, at very low prices, something like uh, a euro per square meter or something, something like almost for free, mm-hmm. right? We um, had a 0% tax on retained profits, meaning that if you reinvest your profits into the company, there's no tax on them. We have free trade agreements with um, some 40, 40 plus countries around greater Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is a market of roughly 650 million people. All right. So you, as long as you add value to your product in Macedonia, you can export it free of tax and you can import it the other end free of tax. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's an incredible benefit. All you have is the transportation costs, right? Um, we had flat corporate tax rates of, we do actually currently have 10% of 10% flat rate. But um, if you are within one of our 15 technological industrial zones or free economic zones, you pay 0% tax for 10 years. I see. Um, And and there are more benefits enumerated on the website I just gave before. Um, But that gives you an idea that makes this very, very, very attractive. Right. And uh, you talked about giving tax benefits. Uh, A lot of times uh, people raise this objection. Uh, I have this uh, research that was done in 1999 that says that, you know, uh, in the pursuit of attracting investment and subsidies, the governments, uh, they lose out on a lot of revenue uh, from these organizations. So uh, now how would you respond to such a claim? How do you, if you're giving tax benefits, then... uh, how do you ensure that your country also benefits from this? Well, um, that sounds like an economist wrote it. An economist kind of work in these ivy towers, right? They're not really working on the ground, right? Now, if I am 
take your pick. IBM, Facebook, Google, and I want to open an office. All things being equal, am I going to open in Skopje, London, Paris, Buenos Aires? It's not going to be Skopje, mm-hmm. right? So I have to create a situation that is so overwhelmingly attractive right. to compensate for the perceived loss of not being in London or Paris right. or New York or somewhere else. Right. But that's the answer. Mm-hmm. Because I, they would never come otherwise. Never. Right. Macedonia is the third poorest country in the European continent. Why on earth would anybody want to come to Macedonia? Mm-hmm. Unless the company was owned by Macedonians. And uh, so, in general, giving up on the taxes to make it attractive, mm-hmm. uh, do you think that is a fair proposition in terms of the benefits that uh, you know, these investments bring for Macedonia as a country? Yes, because remember, it's not indefinite. It's only for 10 years. All right. So, so you're, you're giving a company a chance to build and grow. Right. And it's only 10 years inside the free economic zone. It's not 10 years if you're uh, elsewhere. Elsewhere. And we, have, we had, mm-hmm. in, in 2006, unemployment of about 36%. Uh-huh. Today, thanks to all these new jobs that have come in, thanks to um, a certain redefinition of the unemployment uh, uh, concept, um, we're down to somewhere around, I don't know, 20, 25%, I think. So if the objective is to, um, as you mentioned, technology transfer, to increase employment, mm-hmm. to give people different and greater varied skill sets, right. then that has longer-term benefits for the country. What systems and processes did you put in place to ensure that the nation has absorptive capacity to facilitate the technology transfer? Also, I want to understand what were the other infrastructural and human capital needs that you took into consideration to attract foreign capital? Well, I mean, look, uh, to a certain degree, the process of attracting foreign investments is a beauty pageant, right? Mm-hmm. All these countries are out there where they're investing X agencies and they're competing. Or in America, we see that they compete for automotive factories, right. plants in the South, in South Carolina, in Mississippi, right. in Tennessee, right. wherever, right? And part of the company's due diligence mm-hmm. is making sure that there are people available with the skill set to hire that can do their work. Right. Now, in some cases, if we're trying to establish a new industry or grow an industry, we may have to work with a company to provide that education through retraining or, on the longer term, a change in the educational profile of certain departments universities to update them so that they can graduate students who can meet these needs. Mm-hmm. You focused on the universities and creating the talent over there so that they are prepared to work in these organizations. Precisely. I see. But again, the, 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 the onus is on the company Absolutely. to make sure that there's a sufficient pool of people before they make the investment. It's not our responsibility. Absolutely. If they come to us and say, look, we need people who can do X, Y, Z, and we say they can do ABC, but a little bit of retraining they can do X, Y, Z, then we can meet them in the middle ground and, and, and create a, uh, a line for this. Uh-huh. Right? Could you throw some light on how did you ensure that foreign direct investment leads to a substantial job creation? Because a lot of times it may be possible that the companies could come and only invest in machine or capital-based industries as opposed to labor-intensive industries. Well, look, um, any company seeking state aid, and I was not responsible for allocating state aid. Mm -hmm. I was one of my colleagues. 
But if you're seeking state aid, on top of all the benefits you're offering, right? right? Because we have money to do that, right? From the likes of the World Bank or European Union or wherever, you will you will sign a contract with the government that says, in exchange for receiving this money for this purpose, you will guarantee a certain number of people hired. Oh, I see. Right. I see. So a company would guarantee uh -huh. people to be hired. You wouldn't leave this a chance. So that is a legally enforced um, mm -hmm. contract that you have with the mm -hmm. companies. Mm -hmm. I see. In exchange for giving this money to do ABC, you have to agree to hire X number of our people. Mm -hmm. right. And uh, in general, uh, you know, apart from creating these 1,200 jobs, uh, did the policy initiative of attracting FDI result in the rise of real wages in the labor market? Yes, because in 2006, the average gross up salary, that is to say, with taxes paid by the employer per month, was somewhere around 320 euros uh -huh. per month. And today it's about 506 months. Mm -hmm. So yes, over the course of 10 years, it went from 320 to 506. So I would say the answer is yes. So in general, when I uh, think that, you know, uh, you were able to get so many foreign organizations to start investing in Macedonia, uh, how did that work? I mean, uh, did you use your personal contacts or, uh, you know, how did you decide that, okay, these are the organizations that we're going to go to and we're going to ask them to come over to Macedonia and... Yes, it's very simple. Yeah. Um, I had responsibility for roughly 10 sectors. <clears throat> Let me think if I can remember them all. Automotive, um, computer hardware, computer software, and call centers, all sort of technological stuff. Um, agricultural, the whole supply chain from a cold storage unit to grocery stores. Um, uh, pharmaceutical, uh, banking, mm -hmm. woodworking, leatherworking, aviation, hotels, tourism, uh, alternative energy. Right. That's probably it. Uh -huh. And um, every six months, the Prime Minister would call me into his office and we'd meet for an hour and he'd give me a piece of paper and the net and six months of the year would be written down February, March, April, May, and my name was across the top, and every month he would list the countries he wanted me to go to. I go back to my cabinet, and I said to my staff, and, and, and at the time I hired them in the beginning in 06, these people had never left the country. They'd been prisoners of the country, except for maybe driving into Greece or something, right. due to the geopolitical environment around them. The EU, First of all, they couldn't afford on these low salaries to fly on commercial aircraft, right? Mm -hmm. There are no low-cost carriers at the time. There are now. They just didn't have the means to travel, and they didn't have the ability to get the visas because European countries assumed that they wanted to emigrate, and they were young, and they were single, and maybe they didn't have jobs, they didn't own land, they weren't married. All the things you look for when you decide that somebody should have a visa or not. Yeah. And so coming to work in my cabinet, they got the chance to see the world. And it's very exciting. The world's a big place. Right. You've been stuck in Macedonia for 25 years. This is an amazing opportunity, mm -hmm. right? So um, uh, I come back from the meeting with the prime minister and says, staff meeting, <laughs> and you know, who wants to go where? Here's a list of countries. Yeah. And they fight over right. uh, who got to go to Australia or Finland or you know Nigeria or whatever. And then 
you were then responsible for putting together an agenda of three to five days mm -hmm. in each country. Mm -hmm. And you had to have at least three meetings a day with companies from one of the 10 sectors. Uh -huh. Your choice. So from a management perspective, this was an incentive and you gave the choice to them to drive exactly. it themselves. You pick the country that you have to find the companies in the country that fit these 10 sectors uh -huh. and you have to convince them to have a meeting with me. I see. And then after you get those three meetings, you have to fill in the rest of the schedule with meetings with host government officials, with um, media interviews, with chambers of commerce, right. and maybe industry associations, and whatever else. Right. And I had a full schedule every day on the order of probably 7 to 12 meetings a day right. on these trips. Right. Yeah. And, and those are the rules. And, and they had put together. Now, now, it turns out that I probably only got about one-third of the meetings I asked for. Mm -hmm. They would prepare the letters. Absolutely. I would sign them. We'd fax them off. We'd make follow-up phone calls. But only, and, and I would have thought that as a minister of government, if I was a CEO, I'd be very flattered if the minister wrote me and said he wanted to come see me. Absolutely. Um, but in fact, that wasn't the case. And only about, let's say, one-third of the requests we made were accepted. Oh, I see. And, uh, you know, my last question would be that you came in as a technocrat in this role. And I particularly think that this question would be useful for other technocrats who are going to work for governments. That how did you manage with the bureaucracy? How did you manage with the other so-called career politicians who were working in with you? Well, I think compared to, say, America, which tends to be a meritocracy, when you're a minister of a government, in a country, and I'm not saying all countries are like this, I simply don't know, where ministers are held on a very high pedestal. Absolutely. And they're literally seen, rightly or wrongly, as godlike figures. Uh -huh. It's very easy to okay. you ask. Right, right, right. So maybe that was a bonus I didn't expect. Uh -huh. But as long as, I, as long as you have the ability to frame a change of policy in the best interests of the country, people usually were going along. The problem was, historically in Macedonia, people usually made changes that either benefited themselves personally, benefited their close family members or their close friends, or benefited their political party. And I was very consistent from day one and today that anything I do for that country is done in the best interests of the country and its long-term viability. Thank you, Your Excellency. I think it was good interviewing with you. And Thank you for your time. Thanks for coming out on a Friday. <laughs> Thank you for taking the time out for CPR.